cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Funny that. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week, we have another guest. It's our pal from the It's Plastic Man blog, Max Romero. Max, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Rob. Happy to be here. Yes, this is very exciting. We are going to be talking about uh, adventure comics, uh, which was kind of like my favorite title growing up because I was an Aquaman guy, of course, still am. And Adventure Comics was Aquaman's home, his off-and-on home. I like to refer to Adventure Comics as uh, sort of the girlfriend that takes the guy back when he goes out and cheats because Aquaman kept going <laughs> off and be having a feature somewhere else, and then that wouldn't work, and Adventure Comics would take him back. Uh, but this particular run is what we're going to be talking about, is Adventure Comics numbers 475 and 476, uh, where the book had three features, Aquaman, Starman, and Plastic Man. And uh, a no prize to you if you, can, uh, if you figured out that Max is here to talk about the Plastic Man stories. Uh, because <laughs> I thought I, I was here to talk about Starman. Oh, oh shoot, we really should have compared <laughs> notes before I went ahead and did this. Um, yeah, no, we're not going to be covering Starman this time. We're going to be talking about the Aquaman and Plastic Man stories. I love Plastic Man a lot. I've always he's one of my top five favorite characters. So I'm real. I love these stories. And I'm really happy to talk about them. And I thought it would be perfect to have Max on talk about Plastic Man because he is our resident Plastic Man expert. So we are just going to start off with um, Adventure Comics number four seventy five, which is cover dated September nineteen eighty. Uh, the first story is called Scavenger Hunt. It's written by J M Demetrius. And Pencils and Inks by Dick Giordano, which is fairly rare, uh, which makes it look awesome. The cover, I guess before we even get started, we have to talk about the cover. The cover features Aquaman jumping through a sort of a blue line of the cover itself. And uh, standing around him are Plastic Man and Star Man looking quite happy. And it's drawn by Brian Bolland. It's a beautiful cover. I love it. Uh, what do you think of this cover, Max? I think it's great. I th- it's it's really a, a striking cover, and I like that. Like you said, he's kind of popping out of the same cover that he's on. And the only thing that that kind of is like water's pouring out. Right. <laughs> so I guess he's coming directly from the ocean. Something like that. 
but um, but it's great because it has that black background, so everything kind of pops. And, yeah, you know, yeah. The orange and green looks great, and um, Plastic Man is there, you know, literally pop-eyed at Aquaman bursting out, and it's it's a great cover. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Aquaman images. Brian Ballin never got to draw Aquaman very much. In fact, just off the top of my head, I'm sort of hard-pressed to think when he ever drew Aquaman again. Uh, but this one is really cool. And, and just to give everybody a little bit of a backstory, Adventure Comics uh, had changed formats like every year. They never could quite figure out what to do with Adventure Comics. I mean, obviously, Detective Comics was, was a Batman book. Action Comics was a Superman book. Adventure Comics was just whatever they threw in, and it seemed to change every six months. So starting with Venture number 467... Plastic Man and Starman split the book. And that ran for like the nine issues or whatever. And then when DC upped its price uh, of its comics from 40 cents to 50 cents, they decided to give everybody eight extra pages of story, which meant they had an extra room for another story. And this is when Aquaman jumped back into Adventure Comics after a brief run in World's Finest Comics. And there's a little banner at the top talking about eight extra pay, all eight all new pages featuring Aquaman. So Plastic Man, Starman stayed in the book, but they just made room for Aquaman too, which is again very exciting. I love this cover. I bought this comic off the stands because I just I remembered it. it's just so cool. Oh wow! Yeah. Anyway, uh, Scavenger Hunt. It starts with uh, Mira feeling sick and Aquaman waking up uh, from deep sleep to go get. Uh, Volko to find out if he can help her. As he heads over to Volko's uh, office or whatever you want to call it, he's I forget, like he's not his throne room. I guess Volko's whatever. Anyway, uh, Aquaman is grabbed by his old friend, the octopus Topo. Um, actually, yeah, Topo, giant squid. Actually, not an octopus so much. Topo shows him some mysterious machinery hidden away, with Aquaman immediately recognizes as a piece of ancient Atlantean machinery that could be used to create a dimensional portal between his world and the world of a woman named Atlanta, the last survivor of the original Atlantis, which was all part of a storyline that ran in World's Finest, which of course is what leading up to this. While Aquaman is looking over the find, he discovers the other reason Topo was so concerned. The scavenger, an old foe of Aquaman's, was about to discover the machine as well. The scavenger is in a giant sort of lobster ship with these metal pincers. Super cool. And uh, he also it also has death rays. And, uh, and the, it use, he uses the pincers to grab Aquaman, try and kill him. And for a moment, it looks like it's going to work. Finally, uh, Aquaman just gets tired of all this nonsense. Uh, and he cracks open one of the pincers. And makes his way for the scavenger's uh, little domed things, little Pop-O-Matic uh, dome that he's got going there. <laughs> this is one of my favorite pages of any Aquaman comic ever. Because he, he smashes into the dome using the electric eels. He starts punching the crap out of the scavenger. And he gives the scavenger like this lecture about how long he's been a superhero. And he's got a line. He's like, I've been in the world-saving business uh, long while... Uh, People like Firestorm and Black Lightning were still in diapers. He's like, I take my job very seriously. And he's just beating the living crap out of the scavenger. And it ends with, I'm Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and I'm the best. And he hits the scavenger and knocks him into a, his, uh, the control board. So this, it's just fantastic. It's not, what is it, six, eight panels. It's just such a, and it's brilliantly drawn by Dick Giordano. It's just classic Aquaman action. Anyway, the scavenger may be defeated, but he uses his ship to destroy the machine just to be a dick, pretty much. <laughs> Aquaman, remember while he was out in the first place, he returns home to find Mira gone. And the story is to be continued. So, Max, what did you think of this story? I really liked it. We were talking before how I, I'm not obviously I'm not as well versed in, in Aquaman as you are, so I had some questions about where where this was continuing from and and that sort of thing. But that really didn't matter, and it was kind of like how I started reading comics in the first place, where you could kind of jump into a story, and even if you didn't know the background, you could they gave you enough to kind of jump on. Right. And it, it was it's a great story. You know, it's 
you know, the Dick Giordano art is beautiful. Oh, yeah. And oh my God, his Mira. Yes, yeah, like he drew such Mira. beautiful women. He was just so good at that. Oh gosh, he did. And, and um, you know, he brings in Topo and the Scavenger. And I, that's one thing that, that, um, that kind of grabbed me, though that I noticed as I, as I was reading it, was the Dimiteus' writing. His um, caption boxes are, are kind of florid, almost melodramatic. But his um, dialogue, he gives he gives all the characters such unique voices that you know it, I think that really helps with the characterization because um, obviously Aquaman speaks differently than Scavenger and Scavenger just sounds like such a jerk <laughs> and and you know when he gets like, punched at one point Aquaman punches him and he goes ow that's not fair I was winning <laughs> I I know I was like oh my god what a dick and he. Um, but that, and like you said, that is a great speech too. And I, I was going to ask you about that. Was Aquaman already kind of considered, like like he says in the in the dialogue, a third rate hero? I would say no. I think this was kind of the beginnings of that a little. In fact, I think uh, James Dimitris may have been kind of ahead of the curve, where mm-hmm. Aquaman was kind of considered a little bit of a. Th- I mean, I think that probably within the the halls of DC Comics, he was maybe considered a little third rate just because he never could have a permanent home. I mean, he literally changed. Features, uh, I think six times in like six years. I oh. mean, he went from he went from adventure to world's finest, back to adventure to Aquaman, back to adventure. I mean, it just they never could quite figure out the right home for him. So uh, yeah, I think maybe Jim Davis was sort of uh, jumping on that a little bit. But yeah, I think within the world of DC Comics, no, I don't think he he was particularly I like the idea that the scavenger thought this was going to be an easy beat like he could just grab Aquaman with the pincers and that's the end of it and Aquaman was just tired of this nonsense and especially when <laughs> he's trying to save Mira like Mira's sick I mean this all this stuff is coming right on the heels of their son dying right and so that's you know like he's on edge even more than normal and I just like the idea that he's just he's just tired of it and he's like okay I'm just going to beat the crap out of scavenger over and over and over I mean he he hits him with the electric eels he punches him in panel 3 kicks him in panel Panel uh, five punches him in panel six, gut punches him in panel seven, and punches him again in panel eight. I mean, he's just like really going to town on the scavenger. He he really is. I mean, and that's that's kind of what I like about this this uh, Aquaman too is, and it's probably always been true, but he's he's really kind of a badass mm-hmm. in in this in this story, and it's that's nice to see. And yeah. uh, when you were mentioning about Mira, that was heartbreaking when she's because you know she's sick enough and she has enough of a fever that she's boiling the water around her which is a, a great, a great, yeah, a great visual detail. and um but they you know she's she sees their dead son at one point as a hallucination and that, that's just that is just so tough you know for, to to put the characters through yeah i forgot to mention that page yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought it up yeah that she we we cut back to her at one point and she does see the ghost of arthur jr and grabs his picture and then she collapses and then it's laying there on the floor and it chatters. So yeah, this was, they were dealing with all the aftermath of that pretty heavy storyline. And so he said, you can understand why Aquaman is just, I just don't have time for this nonsense, especially one of my Mort villains, like the scavenger, you know, black man, black man is a real threat, but the scavenger, <laughs> come on. The, I think the, I think scavenger's biggest uh, weapon is his tongue because he calls Aquaman every name in the book. <laughs> so. During this fight, and and then when he gets the crap beat out of him, I think he's still kind of like, well, whatever. I'm going to blow this up, and he's yeah, he's just a jerk. Yeah, Aquaman's like, why did you destroy the machine? And he's like, simple, Aquaman. If I can't have it, neither can you. 
Yeah. Like, that's it. And Akame just leaves him behind. He's ready to punch him again. And then he just, just leaves him. He's like, forget it. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> Scavenger is such a terrible guy. And I have to say, I love that ship. Like, the little lobster ship that he's got. Like, that right. would have made an awesome. I, I've always been talking about that there should have been Aquaman toys. Of course, I would have loved all that. That would have made a great vehicle, a great playset. set. The, 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 the lobster ship with the pincers yeah. and stuff. I mean, I, you know, it's like, think of all the money it takes to build that stuff. You know, like, it's, it's oh, very yeah. imaginative to come up with all these sea based sort of uh, crafts and things. So it's, it's got a great visual. And Aquaman never looks better when drawn by Dick Giordano. I mean, Giordano was the closest DC ever came to a house style. And, like, he just looks perfect. He looks like what you would think, like, ask, like, a little kid of what a superhero looks like. And I think you get close to a Dick Giordano drawing. Uh, and so yeah, he just agree. looks great. I mean, I Giordano doing pencils and inks was, was pretty unusual at this point. I mean, he was a DC staffer, and he mostly did uh, inking work or penciling work, but not both. But here he's doing both, and it just looks it just looks fantastic. I just love I, I just love looking at this stuff. It just looks fantastic. And I, I really like how, and I'm sure this comes down to the colorist and the, also, but just the kind of the murkiness of the of the ocean that that, that you would sort of expect to see mm-hmm. underwater, but you know, but the pop, the colors still pop, and and like you said, the 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 inking is is perfect. I mean, obviously he's inking himself, but it really it really shows how um, you know just what an artist he was is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's 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 really wonderful work. It's really right. wonderful. And, so, and this is well, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about these was this is one of my favorite Aquaman runs. As brief as it is, mm-hmm. it's only four issues, unfortunately, four seventy five through four seventy eight. But it still remains one of my favorite runs. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to talk with Jam Demetrius, and I got to tell him that because I just think like yeah, I think he really. And we'll get into the the second issue, which is features a really great moment. Uh, I think Demetrius just completely had a handle on Aquaman right from the get-go. Yeah. And yeah, again, so. when you pair him up with Dick Giordano, it's like, well, this is just perfect. This is just, you, you know, do, g- give me this series, you know, like do, mm-hmm. do, do 50 issues of this. We didn't, we didn't get that, but it really is a, a really a great, a great first chapter for Aquaman, a great lead into the book and it, a nice counterbalance to the other features. Cause Starman is kind of a space strip and it's got aliens and all this weird stuff. And then of course you've got the humor segment, I figure that's a perfect time. We will move right into talking about Plastic Man. Um, so, so Max, tell us about this uh, this feature here, this Plastic Man strip. Okay, uh, like you said, this is very different from the Aquaman yeah. and the, <laughs> the Starman uh, features. Uh, this is just Plastic Man. None of the uh, stories in this run actually have titles, uh, but it's written by Martin Pasco. It's drawn by Joe Staten and inked by Bob Smith, and. Uh, Colors by Adrian Roy, who I believe did the colors for the Aquaman story also. I think so, yeah. And lettered by John Costanza and edited by Len Wein, who uh, wrote the original two stories in this in this run. Um, the story opens with uh, Plastic Man and Woozy in Las Vegas, and Woozy just hit it big, and Plastic Man is basically making almost like a pelican <laughs> mouth out of himself <laughs> to catch all of the winnings. And they they wander off as with Plaza as a wheelbarrow. There's a lot of shape changes in this in this uh, in this run. And uh, as they leave, there is a man who looks like almost like Arcade from <laughs> from uh, he does. Marvel. <laughs> That's funny. Now that you say it, <laughs> he, look he like totally him. looks like Arcade from Murder World. And uh, a lady with the biggest cat's eye glasses I've ever seen. 
and they're hatching a plot to uh, rig the slot machines to uh, to pay out, and it has to do with uh, two putting two arms on the one-armed bandits and putting into electronic devices, and because the man is actually even Steven, who has an obsession with things being in balance. And, Great name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we find out later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. This the the woman's name is Doctor. Oh, what is her name? I wrote it down. Oh, of course, <laughs> Doctor Meg Lemania. <laughs> so <laughs> Martin Pasco never met a pun he didn't he didn't like. Uh, so anyway, so our heroes are outside and they're thinking something looks suspicious about these two. And as they go in, the 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 slot machines are paying off and. Um, Plastic Man recognizes even Steven, tries to arrest them, uh, but they make their mistake. Their mistake. They make their escape by uh, shooting out a chandelier that Plaz has to catch, and, and they run away. Uh, Plastic Man gets to play detective, doing one of my favorite bits. I love when he makes a uh, uh, a magnifying glass out of his finger. I don't know how he does that, but, he, but I love it when he does. <laughs> um, and figure out that the pair are going to Rome. And, um, of course, giving his, his um, even Stevens penchant for, um, for putting things in balance, of course, their big plot is to create an, an earthquake to put the Leaning Tower of Pisa up straight. <laughs> that, is, that is their whole, that's the whole plot. Um, so Plaz and Woozy follow them to, uh, to Pisa and get there just as they're about to set off their device. Which is actually okay. Hold on, I have to. I have to take a breath for this one. The super heterogeneous framistat, <laughs> which is going to set off the earthquake and somehow set the, the tower upright. Uh, they interrupt them as they're doing it, but that sets off that sets off the machine anyway. But now the, the tower is going to fall. But thanks to Plaz uh, stretching himself to his limits, he saves the tower, and Woozy. Uh, Runs after even Stevens, manages manages to uh, stop him with a couple of well placed apples, and a rolling fruit cart, <laughs> and together they manage to stop the criminals, and then decide to uh, continue their vacation in Venice, Italy, and that is the whole story. <laughs> so. What did you now? I mean, what is your general feeling about these this run of Plastic Man? Like, is this one of your favorites? You know, it actually is. Um, because, you know, I, I'll rail a lot about how people try to make a joke out of Plastic Man. But Pasco really does a good job of balancing out that humor with, um, well, some really awful puns. <laughs> but also, the, uh, if, you, if you read, if you read the script without the artwork, it reads pretty straightforward, actually. There aren't a lot of uh, jokes. No one's necessarily cracking wise all the time. And um, you know, if if someone wanted to take it a little more seriously, you could see you could see some of these plots kind of you know working out or being in JLA maybe or something like that. But that artwork by Joe Staten really tips it over into uh, that gives it that that comedic vibe uh, that Plastic Man is known for because the um, the characters are, are very broadly drawn, almost in that, that Bigfoot cartoon style. Mm -hmm. And um, and it works. And it, it's it's an interesting balance. that the And it's interesting also that the art is what um, what sells the comedy more than the writing. And uh, I, I think it, it works really well. And it also is kind of picking up from uh, 
the stuff that uh, was in Ramona Fraden's run. Right, right. And um, uh, John Albano, I think was his name. And um, because that they, they continue with the NBI, which was first introduced in, in Fraden's run. And uh, a lot of the characterizations kind of feel the same way. You know, Woozy isn't too different than, than that run. And Plastic Man is, is um, he's, he is kind of um, devil may care, but he is not, he never forgets that he is on the job. And I, and I like that. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I have really, uh, I, I, this is not the first time I, I read Plastic Man. I think I probably discovered him, you know what, I may have first seen him in the cartoon. I don't know, I have to look at the timeline. Uh, but this is pretty early in my, no- oh, you know, I saw him in that episode of, Pl- of Super Friends. I remember that, where he grabs the rope oh, and yeah. the other thing. But I mean, <laughs> I don't remember reading the Ramona Fraden issues of Plastic Man, and so maybe I saw him in Brave and the Bull. But this, th- these stories are pretty early for me with Plastic Man. And I really liked them at the time, and I like them now. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Joe Staten. I like the way he does Plastic Man. I like that in every single panel, Plastic Man is in motion. Yes. He's stretching. He's moving. He's he's never. There's panels where he's bursting out of the panel borders, right. like when when Woozy when he turns into the little scooter, the little Vespa, uh, doing a whole Roman holiday bit, and Woozy I wakes his cabin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like you know when he um, turns into the cart with all the money in it, and he's bursting mm-hmm. out of the frame. Like to me, Staten has kind of like it's cartoony, like you talk about the Bigfoot style, but it's kind of got like a grit to it a little. Mm-hmm. That that I don't know feels perfect. It seems like a perfect fit, especially since Pasco is so to me channeling like Dick Tracy. These are very, I mean even Stephen is a Dick Tracy right. villain that just never appeared. I right. mean he's no more ridiculous than Flat Top or Prune Face or any of these guys, and so that to me is clearly what he's trying to channel, and I really like that. I mean, I, you know I've been you know I follow your blog, and I I'm not like that knowledgeable about Plastic Man, especially the Jack Cole stuff. Like, it's more it's more known for its legendariness mm-hmm. than, than I've actually read it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, right. Jack Cole did the best Plastic Man. But, like, I don't know. Jack Cole's Plastic Man was not a humor strip, really. No. It, it, was, it was weird, but it wasn't a humor strip. And everyone else has seemed to regard it as, like, oh, Plastic Man's a humor strip. And it's, it's not necessarily. And this, to me, skates the line of, yeah, it's clearly meant to be funny with all the puns and everything else, but it's as you said. It's like if you just read the plot, it's fairly straightforward. It's a it's a detective story. It's a silly detective story, but it's a detective story, and so I really dig that. And I always thought this was you know like a really nice feature. A nice. I think Joe Staten and Plastic Man are are a good fit. I think Joe Staten has a lot of visual imagination, and that's perfect for a character like Plastic Man. Yeah, I I completely agree. And that's, um, you know, for, like you were saying, for one thing, I don't I don't think there's ever. Uh, an image of Plastic Man where he's not changing shape in somehow, yep. in some way. And like you said, I, I think Dick Tracy kind of hits it right on the head because this is, you know, it's not just this issue. It's every issue has these kinds of characters. Yep, yep. And, um, and they're all kind of, you know, they're not, well, they're, I guess their, their abilities or their, their backgrounds are kind of goofy. But, you know, it's not any goofier than anyone else in, in Dick Tracy. No, and no. like you, yeah, and like you mentioned, there is this weird—I don't know—it's—it's it's, you know—it's these crazy people running around in a world that use that you recognize, and it's and so it's very easy to kind of balance. Well, not easy, but it's—it's. It's, uh, I think that gives it some of that balance that you're talking about, you know, because it's—it's it's plastic man running around around Pisa, yeah, and that and that sounds like a crazy concept, but it but it works because the Tower of Pisa doesn't look 
like a cartoon. It looks like the Tower of Pisa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just happens to have Plastic Man wrapped around it. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I love when he sees, I think it's panel, oh, page seven, when the, when the tower starts falling and his eyes bug out of his head like he did on the cover with the Popeye thing. Like, I right. just feel like you can hear that Warner Brothers horn, like, <laughs> like that sound. <laughs> like, I feel like they never did anything that interesting on the cartoon, like where they never went that crazy with it. But I just love right. that, that panel of him screaming. Like, it's just great. Again, I just think it's like he's such a, Joe Staten is such a perfect companion for this character. And it's such a nice fit. He really is. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say he's probably in my top two classic band artists. Who's who's Just, number? Who's the other one? It would have to be Cole. Oh, it's Cole. Okay. All right. <laughs> even though, even though there's, I go back and forth. I'm, I'm not going to even get into it now. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, it's for another episode. Gonna... We'll do. Well, or when you do your Plastic Man podcast, you can talk. About oh man. I know, because I'm just going to keep contradicting myself if that's the case. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, he is he is just really good. And he seems – it's – I can't imagine the challenge of trying to to um, show characterization through body language with a character who is, com- who is always – who is constantly changing his body shape. But Staten does a really good job of it, and a lot of that is in the facial expressions and um, – I don't. I think good plastic man artists don't get enough credit for this. But you know, all his shape changes, and like I mentioned, Staten does this. He does a lot of shape changes. Um, they're a reflection on on what's happening in the story, and a, and a real reflection, I think, of plastic man's state of mind. And like, you're, so you're mentioning like the the bug eyes that are that when he sees the tower falling over. I I completely believe that that was a reflex. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel like plastic man is is putting that on. I, I think that is just what happened when Plastic Man is, was surprised, mm-hmm. and and I I, I love that. I, I think Staten, you know, just does such a good job um, bringing these cartoony characters uh, to a point where they're real people. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. I was about to say that. In fact, I like on page eight that it's Woozy who apprehends even Steven. Because mm-hmm. it's like I, I have a very low tolerance for like wacky sidekicks or even like teen sidekicks. Right. And, play, and Woozy is like the ultimate humor sidekick. <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, in an, in an already kind of funny strip, why do we even need this guy? And so when he, like if he when he is done as like a total clown buffoon, I, I find him annoying because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. come on, you know. But here he's effective. Like he he apprehends even Stephen. He throw he, he knocks him the guns out of his hands with by throwing the apples, and then he right. hits him with the cart, and it's like that's great. It's like Woozy gets like do a fun thing, you know. Like he gets to be reflective. I do love, and I I don't think this is accidental. But in the first panel of page eight, where even Stephen is is firing at Woozy behind him. Yeah, his hands are turned in a way his hands cannot be turned because he's got <laughs> yeah. his hands behind him, and you're like your hands would be upside down. The guns right. could not be right, but it doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't. Right. And, and I even love the little drawing that he sticks of the apple vendor, and he just has two little dots for eyes. Like I just love that little guy. I mean, said Staten, Staten fills these panels all wall full of backgrounds and little details. Mm. There's in panel two, there's like a little bird just sitting watching this happening. Like he yeah. really gives you sort of your money's worth. Like he doesn't, it, it's not like, Oh, it's a humor trip. I can just sort of like do something simple. He really gives it a real kind of beautifully illustrative quality, which is mm-hmm. again, really to me, very pleasurable to look at. And a lot of in jokes. I mean, a lot of things that you have to, uh, Staten makes you pay attention because half the story is in the art. Yeah. I know that sounds dumb when we're talking about comics, but <laughs> in this case, you know, nothing That's is not always wasted. true, yeah. Yeah, nothing is wasted. Yeah, very cool. It's a really you know, great I do, story. I do want to mention at the top of, of page seven, I don't know if you're if yours is the same way, but 
Plastic Man has yellow has a yellow bottom half. Yes, I saw that. In his uniform. I don't know. Is that Plastic Man of Earth Two? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's you know, it's, it's old timey printing. You know, you never quite always get it. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that myself. So, yeah, it's a solid story. This is a really fun, a really fun feature. You know, and I was really happy that uh, I was really glad that like in retrospect. That like they didn't push Plastic Man out for Aquaman. I'm glad they managed to do the extra eight pages because I think it's a nice fit. It's a nice right. combo of the two. So, um, is that going to do it for Plastic Man? Do you have anything else you want to say about this particular one? No, just I guess I would just reiterate too what you were saying about Woozy. It's nice to see him being a fit. I mean, Woozy is not the smartest and he's not the bravest, but he's always he's I like him best when he is shown being a loyal friend to Plaz. And he, you know, he's he's in the thick of it. You know, I mean, he had his hat shot off, and he was still trying to catch this guy. <laughs> so, his pork pie hat. <laughs> his pork pie hat. He even says, you know how hard it is to find straw hats. And, and <laughs> you know, and that's great. It, it's yeah. great. It's it's nice to see Woozy uh, not just being dead weight. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fun stuff. It's really good trip. So, all right. Well, uh, we are going to take a break, and we're going to play some podcast promos. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the story, the Aquaman Plastic Stories in Adventure Comics number 476. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Nicholas Prom, the host of Comic Reflections, a podcast devoted to Silver and Bronze Age comics. Join me and my spunky sidekicks, Jeff Barnhart, the crusty curmudgeon from Dogpatch USA, and Spencer Valadez, podcasting's very own Apache Chief, as we discuss the grooviest comic books of yesteryear. You'll find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at comicreflections.wordpress.com. What are you waiting for? Tune in, turn on, and kick ass! Plastic Man in Gold for Dessert. Woozy Winks is a waiter at the glittering Got Rocks Hall. Yeah, Plaz, they're giving away piles of gold for dessert. Soon the word gets out there'll be lots of greedy characters around. And you want one plastic man around its protection. Okay, pal. Clever, Plaz. You're carrying in piles of gold for dessert this way. I'll take that. I want all the gold in the world. Wrong! Huh? Hostess Twinkies cakes? Golden sponge cake? Creamed filling? What treasure? This time you got your just desserts. Please, no jokes. Let me enjoy Hostess Twinkies cakes and a last taste of freedom. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies Cakes. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Atom. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? And we're back, and this time we're going to be talking about Adventure Comics 476, which is cover dated October 1980. This cover is by Dick Giordano. 
uh, and uh, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. I'm sorry. Uh, I love this cover. I always love covers that have like the little sidebars for the other characters. So, and this has that. It has Aquaman being attacked by his finny friends, which are under the control of uh, Poseidon. But then on the side, it's got plus Starman and Plastic Man. And I just, I don't know. I like that. It, to me, it makes it, it has more fun that, that they're giving everybody a little bit of space on the cover. I think it's, it's, it's nifty. And I, and I do like that they're giving them little nicknames. It's the, you know, the pliable Plastic Man and yeah. the stellar Sentinel Starman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I love that. It's good stuff. I like it. So uh, this story is called The Poseidon Adventure, <laughs> written by J.M. DeMatteis, <laughs> pencils and inks by Dick Giordano again. Uh, Aquaman has returned home to find Mira gone, and as he's wondering what to do, he is met by none other than someone who calls himself Poseidon, god of the oceans. And he's a big bearded dude. He looks, he looks like Poseidon. Aquaman doesn't believe for one moment that this is the real Poseidon, yet he has the ability to force Aquaman to follow him to his army of sea creatures, who he plans to use to declare war on the surface world. As they begin to attack the coastal town of New Venice, Aquaman, who is still under Poseidon's control, does his best, which is to protect his finny friends from the humans' retaliation. Since they are being forced to attack, uh, Aquaman doesn't want his finny friends to get, he ends up getting killed in the melee. Aquaman concentrates and decides to focus his mental powers on just one sea creature, a porpoise, who attacks Poseidon and grabs the trident that Aquaman thinks is the true source of the guy's power. The porpoise succeeds, and Aquaman takes out this foe, Poseidon. But he sees that in the attempt... Uh, his porpoise friend has been killed, and there's a nice moment where we are reminded how much Aquaman cares for his fellow seagoers. After he punches Poseidon, he looks over to the side and sees the porpoise dead, and he embraces it, and a little bit of, there's like a small tear coming out of his eye. Um, it turns out that the porpoise died from mental and physical stress, trying to serve both its masters. Aquaman sits on a rock alone, realizing he's as much to blame as Poseidon. He also realizes what it felt like to be under someone's control and feel helpless, and wonders, is that what he's been doing to his finny friends all these years? Just then, a parade of sea creatures, sharks, octopi, eels, fish, hundreds of them, swim by in silent testament to their friend. It's at this moment that Aquaman learns that he has not been controlling his finny friends at all. They follow him out of respect, loyalty, and love. And that is the end of the story. Uh, Max, what did you think of this one? I thought it was really good. Needed more Mira. <laughs> but, okay, fair enough. But other than that, I I thought it was um, it was it's interesting because I it's I'm I'm not quite sure why they took this digression in the middle of of Mira's disappearance, mm-hmm. but I thought it was very effective in in terms of um, basically the, uh, a stronger Aquaman coming and and putting Aquaman in a position where he he was really kind of almost helpless. And like you mentioned, you know him, him having to to take a look at himself and wonder if, if that what is that was what he was doing to his his um, undersea friends. Yeah, and and I don't know if anyone has ever brought that up before as as far as you know how much Aquaman is controlling sea life or how much he is is asking for help. And you know, to, and to, to see those images of the of the porpoise, you know, die, um, having died. In, in service to Aquaman, basically, and how much that affects him is is you know powerful, you know, and I'm glad to see that. And of course, that last panel, which is almost a, almost a splash panel um, of all the sea life, and there's sharks and sailfish and whales and an octopus and you know all this all this um, all these fish drifting by to to let him know that they love him is is um, I think really a, a, a a strong indication of, of what this character is all about. 
Yeah, to my memory, they really had, no writer had really dealt with the whole idea of how much is he commanding these creatures and how much is he requesting. And so J.M. and J.M. DeMatteis, you know, by his nature, you mentioned in the previous story that the, the captions are very florid, and that's kind of J.M.'s style. Uh, and and he's a very sort of humanistic guy. I mean, Craven's Last Hunt aside, uh, he he generally doesn't write really kind of brutal, nasty things. He's much more whimsical. And I have to say, this story had a real impact on me as a kid because Aquaman is kind of like very sensitive here. And I was a sensitive kid. I'm a sensitive guy now, uh, much to my detriment at times, but nevertheless. <laughs> but I mean, I kind of that I think this was one of the things that hooked me into Aquaman is that even though he was this superhero and he's tough and he's brave and he's kicking butt. And of course, he beats the crap out of Scavenger, as we saw. He he is upset when one of his friends dies, either through his own actions or someone else's. Like, it genuinely bothers him. And that really was effective to me. And I like that, you know, I almost feel like this plot, this little detail gets solved almost a little too quickly. Uh, but the story's only eight pages. They didn't have a lot of room. Uh, I mean, Poseidon is punched and Aquaman's like, all right, just forget you. Like, he just forgets about him to deal with this. But I, I like that the, the, the fish are like, no, no, no. You know, we follow you because we, you know, we respect you and we sort of love you, not because you're commanding us to do it. And I think that's a very powerful moment. And as you say, the it's almost a splash page of it, how much it's more than two thirds of the page is that panel. And I think it's a really great image. And, and like the, the way they just respect him by all swimming by him. I think it's great. I, I think this was a really powerful moment. I agree that, yeah, it seems a little weird for the mirror story to get shunted off to the side. But. I don't know. It doesn't really bother me, uh, especially since the Poseidon thing comes back later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so J.M. Demetrius is sort of layering this this whole concept in. But I, I think it's great. I like the idea that it said New Venice, you know, like that Aquaman has this town that he protects. I've said that right. for decades that Aquaman needs like a town. He needs his own metropolis. He needs a Gotham. Uh, yes. So I like that whole idea. So, yeah, I think this is another terrific story. I think it's real. And the panel of him holding the porpoise is just really well done. I mean, it's it. It's Jick Giorgiano. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the close-up of Aquaman using his mental powers is, to me, super iconic. Of That just looks like... You can just see yeah. that totally. Uh, it's just, yeah, D- D- Giordano just doing some really, really great work. I like Poseidon when he gets damp. When he gets all the water dumped on him and his hair is all uh, in the flashback. When he w- right. wakes up on this island. Like, that's just like a funny little thing. Uh, yeah, everything <laughs> about this. It's just terrific. I think this is just a, a, the, the, the scene where Poseidon is controlling Aquaman and making him dance like a puppet is, mm-hmm. is wonderful and sort of humiliating for Aquaman there. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And then Aquaman rescues the, the one fish by grabbing the cop and throwing him overboard because he doesn't want the... the fish to get hurt and just all these great little details i think it's just a terrific story yeah and there's a lot of great concepts i mean i would love to the, the idea of a named amnesiac uh, god is is great i i, yeah. I love that i mean that and then i um i'd be curious to see how that was explored and i i love i love that aquaman seems to go back and forth from former ruler of atlantis to son of a sailor Mm-hmm. Because you know he he kind of says you know haven't we paid a high enough price and then he calls uh, but he also calls Poseidon a goon mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point what I think is pretty ballsy you know, considering <laughs> and um, there's you know just little things here and there and I like that that Demetrius, uh kind of rewards the reader because if you if you notice uh, Poseidon never calls Aquaman Arthur or Arthur Curry he always mm-hmm. calls him Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Which to me was like kind of a hint. Okay, well, Trinidad God, no, you know, because he keeps calling him my favorite son. 
mm-hmm. but he never calls him by name. And that, you know, and that's just that's just the nice little bit of of writing detail that that I think he uh, you know was was very conscious of, yeah. and it and it and it pays off. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's Demetrius is is a really good writer, and like I said, I as I said in the previous segment, I think he had a handle on Aquaman instantaneously, which is not mm-hmm. always the case with some writers. So this is just to continue. This is why this is one of my favorite runs. There's, we'll, we'll, we're, uh, for everybody, just to give you an idea of what we're doing, Max and I are going to come back and do a part two where we talk about uh, the other two issues of Adventure later on. Uh, but for now, we're just covering the first two. But it's like, even though this run is only four issues long, it is one of my favorite Aquaman runs. I just like each issue is to me is really is like perfect. And so yeah, Demetrius is just a just, and I interviewed him on the Shrine, even though he's only written Aquaman like five times. You know, oh, wow. he, he did like you know he did like he did one issue of of Action Comics where they continued the strip, and he wrote like a guest appearance in Justice League International. I'm like that's pretty much the only Aquaman he's ever done. But I still wanted to interview him because I'm like you you didn't do it long, but you did a great job. So uh, yeah, it's, it's another great installment. Really, really solid. <laughs> Does he feel like he has a uh, a connection with the with the character? He he kind of looked at it. I'm trying to. I have to go back and look at the interview and I remember because it was years ago at this point. God, I've been doing the shrine for ten years. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but uh, I think he sort of looked at it as just a job and was like, okay, but but he wants to do his best. You know, he's like, right. here I'm writing this character. How can I? You know what's what's unique about him? What's you know what makes him worth writing about, and what makes him doing it differently than Superman or Batman or any of the. I mean, heck, he even had that attitude about when he wrote Red Tornado for Pete's sakes, and that's hard right. for a lot of people to get into is writing Red Tornado. So, but that's that's I think that's what J.M. Demetrius is kind of like as a person. He's just that kind of guy. I think he's just sort of a sensitive soul, and I think Aquaman's a good fit for him. And the fact that he hits on this important beat. Uh, so early, I think it just that's I think that's where he he is as a writer. So right. it's a really nice feature. So yeah, so that's uh, that's the Poseidon adventure. Um, so now we're going to move on to Plastic Man. So Max, take it away. Okay, uh, again, this is Plastic Man, no title, and it is by the same uh, creative team as the uh, last issue, with the exception of Ben Oda on lettering. Uh, but again, Martin Pascoe and Joe Staten and Bob Smith. Um, and it uh, begins with a bang, literally, as, there, as Plastic Man, Woozy, and Chief Branner are watching a film of a house being um, destroyed in an explosion. And uh, Chief Branner lets Plastic Man know that this is the second uh, explosion like this. Uh, the first uh, occurred in a kitchen on a home on Butterfield Street, destroying a refrigerator, two toasters, and a Cuisinart. And, oh yes, the occupant of the house. <laughs> Um, the second explosion blew out an entire breakfast nook, and I am the resident. <laughs> and um, they do not know what these explosions have in common. Um, they're very early in the morning, and that's why they're getting Plastic Man to uh, to look into it. And it cuts to a, a lady with a lot of cats. Uh, I'm not going to use the word that they're obviously trying to get people to say <laughs> in, in these panels um, of a milkman delivering the milk and she's uh, giving her cats the cream and in the truck there is a man with a head like a wedge of cheese <laughs> and because as, as we said earlier the uh, the the Dick Tracy influence is, is pretty strong in these yeah, stories yeah. and uh, as she takes the cap off the lid uh, that explodes and she, uh, later on uh, our heroes are investigating, and the room, the house is filled with cats, milk, and one dead body. 
because um, I guess the cats <laughs> saved up a, a life each and, and managed to avoid the explosion. Um, and um, as they're investigating, as Plastic Man is investigating, and he finds a shard of, of uh, the milk bottle, uh, a couple of the, um, I guess, the, the guys who are there to remove the body also have to remove the cats and just kind of start flinging them out a window. <laughs> So you get an image of cats just kind of flying through the air. I don't like that panel. <laughs> I have yeah. to say, I'm not going to take it seriously, but I don't like that panel. It's a, it's a little rough. Um, their faces, though, are great because they're just kind of like, oh, yeah. cats. Um, and so we follow our uh, our villain, whose name is Cheeseface, of course, uh, with his uh, cohort, who is Edam O'Gratton. <laughs> so you can see where this is going. Uh, they go to a dairy, and we get the background that um, Cheeseface used to work at that dairy in the research lab, because, of course, dairies have research labs, and uh, has developed a recipe for lactoglycerin. And in an, accidentally, in an accident, that also gave him his cheese wedge head. Um, Plastic Man manages to track the, use the clues to track down the villains to the same um, dairy, and bust in start fighting. Uh, Woozy takes a, a boot to the chin <laughs> and uh, almost gets blown up by this lactoglycerin, but is saved by Plastic Man while the bad guys make their escape. And um, But they figured out that where they're going from there, and there's a very unfortunate uh, depiction of someone called Fong Wu, um, who for some reason also speaks uh, with, you know, Yiddish, Yiddish <laughs> words, and sounds like he's probably from Brooklyn. Um, Plastic Man manages to head off Cheeseface uh, before he can uh, kill Fong Wu. Woozy again shows his shows his medal by capturing the uh, the henchman, and there is a Chuck Barris joke, and then that is the end, <laughs> as, <laughs> as all the bad guys are are captured and uh, taken away. Kids love Chuck Barris. Everybody oh, of course. <laughs> Once they once they look him up on Google to find out who he is, they they're, they're, everyone's a big Chuck Bears fan. Yeah, they made that, they made that movie about him. Isn't, isn't that guy? Yeah, uh, yeah. I this one I don't like this one quite as much as the other one, except for page six, which to me is one of the best action sequences I've ever seen Joe Staten do. I love all the crazy panels. And the, the zigzag, the back and forth, the way the action moves. Like, I think this page, I just think this page is so well done. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's it's silly because it's a Plastic Man story and you've got cheese head and stuff like that. But I just love the movement of it and just how Plastic Man works. and turns himself into that, that bell at the end that the, the, or the beaker that's just pinning cheese face or cheese head. I just, I love this page. And the, the guy kicking Woozy, like, I think this is such a great page. He... Uh, Joe Staten is really uh, channeling um, uh, Jack Cole in this in this uh, sequence because you know Plastic Man is is stretching down to uh, to the bad guys and that leads into him with uh, as the milk bottle and there's there's movement lines that go into Woozy getting kicked in the face which you know it all and it leads into the next panel and it's just like you said the the movement in this is is great and. Um, you really get the sense that all this is happening at the same time, and it's just happening so quick. And the way Plastic Man saves Woozy at the, you know, while all this is going on, it's, it's just, you know, it's it's wonderful because you, you really get to see Plastic Man being the hero. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to see him being the superhero and, and you know, not just changing shapes and being wacky. You know, he's he's taking out the bad guys. He's saving his friend. 
and it's and it's uh it's a great sequence yeah it's really well done uh i will agree the fong Wu thing is a little <laughs> yeah. I, I i get i mean i can't you know as a lily white male i don't have the i don't have the right i think to be like oh people shouldn't be offended by that but at the same time like everyone in the strip is so ridiculously right. caricatured that i kind of just go all right, it's all part of this world. I, I mean, maybe it might not have been the best idea in the world, but I don't know. I, I find the whole thing so silly that I just didn't take it. It didn't jump out at me when I read it again. as like, you know, Ugh, you know, what's that yeah. doing? In there? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it probably wasn't the best choice, but I do appreciate that they at least um, kind of acknowledge it by by giving him this. You know, I mean, he calls somebody. He says, "Don't be such a gonif," and you know, right. all you know, he says right. all these things. And they so they kind of puncture the, the the caricature themselves, and and yeah, and that's also you know I know it's a product of its time, and and uh, you know it's I mean they were already getting away from that sort of thing, but it was as you say it's it's supposed to be broad comedy, and so I understand that I I, I don't think anyone would do it today. No, no. But but I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah the whole thing is so absurd. I mean, everyone here looks grotesque. Everybody right. has a weird. I mean, good lord, we got a guy who has a block of cheese for a head. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. With holes. With Swiss holes cheese. on top of it. It's, I find it. I find him very unpleasant to look at. I just find that really hideous. <laughs> the idea of having a cheese for a head. like it just it's just like ugh, I just don't like looking at it. So. I know, and it and it comes to a point and he's yeah. It. yeah it's the whole, whole thing is is pretty pretty weird. Yeah. One thing I do appreciate about this one is that um, there there's a little bit more. I, I guess. Martin Pascoe put a little bit more care into uh, the plot of this, I guess. Mm. There's there's a lot going on. You know, um, Cheeseface gets a gets a short origin, mm. and in the previous uh, segment, you know, we we talked about um, Doctor Megalomania, uh, and we we know we knew what um, even Stevens' motivation was, but they never explained why why Doctor Lamania was was involved in this at all. Right. And here, you 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 know. Everyone has a purpose, <laughs> and, mm. and so you know. And I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, it's just because it's silly doesn't mean that it should be sloppy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also do. I want to mention. Do I love the sound effects? The sounds like on page eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he get when he hits the gong, the sound effect is a gong. But when uh, Ian O'Gratton hits the ground in panel three, the sound effect is swamp. Swamp. Yeah. Like it's very weird, you know. Like it, it all fits. It's all that kind of, you know, just extendo humor kind of thing. It's really like a like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, and there's the the same thing on what is that uh, page seven when uh, Plastic Man is going up the building using suction cup hands and feet. You know the sound effects. Oh there yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Scrooge, scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as he says, he's going up. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's good stuff. I'm not sure what Cheeseface was thinking of by trying to set the uh, explosion use explosion using incense because that stuff takes forever to burn down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, he, well, how long he was planning on sticking around, but well, you know, he's, he's, he's again, his head is made of cheese. He doesn't have you know, <laughs> thinking it all straight. So yeah, it's good stuff. It's another, it's really sad. It's really fun. I, it's, I love looking at that Joe Stain artwork. So um, is there anything else we want to say about this uh, plastic man? Uh, no, I just want to say again, how much I love uh, Joe Staten's, um, shape changes in you know mm-hmm. that, that he puts plastic man through i mean like we said before plastic man is never not changing shape and all the shapes um, reflect what's going on but also um you know they're in a way they're kind of practical <laughs> in a sense he replaces and, the buddha 
and uh, yeah. they, you know, to, to you know, to hide there and hide in plain sight. It becomes the boot. I always love when Plastic Man hides in plain sight. I always thought that was such a neat trick when he's like a mailbox or a yeah. phone or whatever. Like he's he's there, and you just have to notice. You're like, hey, wait a minute, why is that phone? Red, yellow, and black. That doesn't make any sense. I used to love those gags. Exactly. I, and I love in the – on page three on the first panel, he's he's thinking, he's asking questions, and his, finger, his fingers form a question mark above his head. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Stuff. Yeah, that's okay. I think we're gonna wrap this episode up here. I said, as as I mentioned before, we are going to do a second episode where we talk about the uh, following two issues of Adventure Comics. But for right now, we're just gonna do these. So, as we wrap up, uh, I want to say, Max, thanks so much for coming back. And where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at itsplasticman.wordpress.com. And also at um, basically put in Maxo Romero into Facebook, Twitter, or uh, Instagram, and you'll you'll find me. And I'm also on um, it's Plastic Man at Twitter. All right, very cool. And of course, for all you listening, if you're in the Chicago area, you can look Max up. <laughs> yeah, be pretty re- soon. Relocating to the Chicago area. Uh, and for us, of course, if you want to follow the show, just use the uh, network site, which is FireAndWaterPodcast.com. We're FW Podcast over on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page. You can find me also at the TheAquamanTrine.net and Shag over at FirestormFan.com. So, Max, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I wanted to do this for a while. I've been wanting to talk about these Aquaman stories for a while. I just, we just haven't had the chance. And so when I realized we could pair them up with with Plastic Man, who I never don't love talking about, and that would have, give us the chance to have you on too, it was just perfect. So thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's always a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until next week, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Truth and justice and sea on land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. This is the holy crawl through, and it's ten feet long? I'm afraid so. Well, I know someone who can reach that mouse. Plastic Man. You're right. I'll be back in a flash with Plastic Man. This narrow tube curves this way and that, Plastic Man. In and around the machinery. Do you think you can reach the mouse? That's not the problem. I don't want to hurt the mouse. Superman, will you watch with your X-ray vision and tell me when my hand is near it? Watch it, PM. There's a hot tube up ahead. Oops, you were right, SM. Easy now. You're in the booster chamber. Move forward slowly, a little to the right. Poor thing's scared. He's in the corner. Aw, I'm gonna keep him as a pet.